0: Welcome to another inspiring message from Milestone Church in Keller, Texas. Praise the Lord. Good morning to everyone. Can we start by giving God a great round of applause today? Worthy of all our praise, all our adoration. It's always great to be here in Dallas-Fort Worth. And I've known Jeff and Brandy a long time. In fact, before they had... Children, they'd come and stay at my home in the summers along with Jed and Sarah Walker, and we'd barbecue and eat and talk about life. So I really don't just come here for the greatest barbecue in the world or my favorite Tex-Mex, I really do come to see them. And so it's been my privilege to be involved in Milestone from the very beginning. It's always great to be here. I'm gonna title this message today, The Walls Came Tumbling Down. Faith for your Jericho. What's your Jericho? that request you're believing for. That situation in your family, your business, your life, you really believe God's spoken to you or given you a promise, but it's not happened. It says in Hebrews 11.30, by faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. How do the walls of your Jericho fall down? I wanna talk about that today in the life of Joshua. I'll divide this message into four very simple parts. I'll talk about his person, the peril he faced as he assumed his new job, the principles he lived by, and how he applied those principles to God's plan to do the impossible. Many of you find yourself in a seemingly impossible situation today. How would I know that? Well, this is the message the Lord gave me. In fact, I sent one message to the staff. By the time I got to Friday, I knew there was another message and sent this one. So it gives me confidence, and in every service, lots of people have surely responded, and you will too. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, help us. Jesus, when you ascended to heaven, you asked your dad to send the Holy Spirit, he did. And I pray for his illuminating power to illuminate our hearts, to illuminate scripture. We ask for more than for more than information. We ask for revelation. We might experience you, amen. It's one of the toughest leadership transitions in all of history. Like you don't replace a Moses every day, founder of a nation, reverenced figure in three monotheistic religions, the lawgiver of the Ten Commandments at the very foundation of the Judeo-Christian ethic, mighty in word and deed, a prince of Egypt, a man who parted the Red Sea with a stick, saw an empire shaken, and for 40 years lived every day in the miraculous provision of God. Bread fell from heaven, water came out of rocks. You tell me that's a hard act to follow. A man that knew God so well, the Bible said he veiled his face, and when he came out of his prayer time, he was so immersed in glory, his friends could hardly recognize him. Joshua had been with him since he was a boy. The Bible said Joshua had served him from his youth. Moses was in great health, no one expected him to die. The Bible said at 120, he was still vigorous, perfect health. He went up to pray one day, never came back. They could never find his body. It shattered the peace of the nation. The Bible says they cried for 30 days. Imagine being the new man in that situation. There's two of you here today that are assuming new positions this week, and you're afraid it could be worse. I might add, this was a people with a history of trying to kill their leader whenever they got mad. If that wasn't enough, he faced terrible peril. He was sitting in what is today modern Jordan, on the other side of the Jordan River. I've been on both sides. Been to the Jordan River, it's kind of a trickle now, but it was at flood tide then over a mile wide. He had two and a half million people and the Lord casually said, lead your people across the Jordan. Why is it the Lord can sound so casual about things that are scaring us to death? You ever feel like telling the Lord respectfully, you live up there, I live down here, it might be worse than you realize? Like, I know it's okay up there. I'm down here. Help me down here. And so, how do you lead two and a half million people across a flooded river? 40 years before they had been there, and when they saw the walled cities and these gigantic armies and these real tall ethnicities, they ran for their lives. That wasn't enough. Across the river was waiting for them the city of Jericho. Now Jericho today, and you see the picture there, is the second oldest inhabited city in the world after Damascus. Your archaeologists tell us that it was the first walled city in history. In fact, it was double walled. When you study archaeology, you find out that the walls themselves were nine feet thick. They were 13 feet high, and that did not include the berms, the first walls. So they probably would have towered over the Israelites probably 30 feet. Israel had no answer for that. They had no siege equipment, no history of siege warfare, yet God was telling them, take Jericho, take Jericho, take Jericho. There's another picture coming up in a second. You'll see even a different view of it. Impregnable Have you ever felt like God had given you a promise that's impossible? The number here today say, Jim, I really feel like the Lord has told me this about my wayward child, about the health of my spouse, about something in my business, about what I've really been facing with my mom, something in my parents, my sibling who I love on the verge of divorce. Jim, I feel this, but it seems like it's getting no better. You ever believe for years with no sign of anything changing? What do you do when what the word of God tells you, and it's been quickened by the Holy Spirit, just doesn't seem to be happening? Doesn't seem to make sense. In fact, the more you look, the harder it gets. That's what Joshua faced, is he looked on the city that God had told him to conquer with no answer. No answer at all. Now in Joshua one, we find the principles that he lived by. I wanna take these principles, then apply them to the plan God gave him for Jericho. Why would I do this? Because the same principles that Joshua lived by have not changed. In fact, they're referred again in the New Testament with different language. Let's talk about them together. In Joshua 1, 2, the the first part of the verse, it says, Now, therefore, arise and go over this Jordan. Principle number one, sooner or later, you have to move. It's easy to become paralyzed by our obstacles. Locked down, what do I do? How do I manage, how do I take that first step? And let me tell you, with every pain, there is a divine plan. There's something you can move out in, something you can do. I'll I'll never forget, I was telling the first congregation that when when I showed up to ask for my wife's hand in marriage, we'll be married 40 years in June. I wasn't exactly what her parents, her highly affluent parents were dreaming about. To make it worse, her mom was a devout Catholic and I was a young Protestant minister. I was not the answer to her prayers. And so, when I asked her father, who had been a war hero, very powerful in the government of the United States, and I asked for her hand, he said, you can marry her, just don't tell her mother whatever you do. It was kind of an ominous sign, but anyway, her mom finally goes, Jim, what's going on around here? I could tell her husband, who had been a war hero, was more afraid of his wife than dying, that's another story, anyway. I said, well, uh, I asked for your daughter's hand in marriage. She goes, what did he say? He said, yes, she goes, oh my God! You'd have thought I shot her, but anyway, after 30 years, she liked me, that's the good news in the story, okay. But he was unsaved and he told me, he said, Jim, if, if there's a God we can't ever know him, God spoke to us, we'll save your dad. We prayed. 20 years every night without fail, reminding the Lord of what He said. At 80, He turned to Christ. At 81, He died. How do you sustain your faith in that situation? Secondly, He gave Joshua a mandate. What does that mean? He gave him a territory. He said, This is what I've given you. And here's how He said it Every place that you put the sole of your foot will tread upon, I've given to you, just as I promised Moses, from the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, to the great sea, toward the going down of the sun, shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life, just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you, I will not leave you or forsake you. So what are you saying? In this territory, you're invincible. This is yours, it's what I've given you. Now, God also has a mandate for you. He has a territory for you. You're wondering, well, like, how does he define it? Like, how do I know what I've been given to do, Jim? Now, in general, the promises of God define the mandate of his people, generally. He's not, we know he's not gonna leave us. He's not gonna forsake us. He saved us, he secured our soul. We know he heals. That can be confusing, we know he heals, but it doesn't always time happen, so in general we get a feel, but how do you and I know what is specific to us? Now basically, that happens in two ways. The first is the illumination of scripture. You ever have a light bulb go off in your head and you just know? The same thing happens with scripture. You're reading scripture and all of a sudden, it just illuminates. You just realize, that scripture's for me. He just personalized it. Other times, the Holy Spirit just whispers it to you. When Kathy was being treated for cancer many, many years ago, she had a stroke, and her stroke resulted in a 10-year battle with seizures. One of my friends was her neurologist. He had taught at Harvard. He was board certified in child neurology, adult neurology, and psychiatry. He he was the leader in his whole state. He looked at me and said, your wife will never be well, Jim. Now, it's bad enough when a doctor tells you that, but when a Christian doctor tells you that, it's like the double seal of doom. And the Holy Spirit said, not so. She'll be healed. And and he illuminated me. I am the Lord that heals. And I realized, my wife's gonna be healed for 10 years, we believed. At that point, she had not driven a car for seven and a half years. That gets old, raising a bunch of children. And sitting in my, in having our evening devotions, we prayed for her to be healed every night. The Holy Spirit touched her. She was instantaneously healed with no mark of ever having a seizure. Ten years. You see, when God illuminates that scripture, when that promise comes to you, how do you hold on? How do you maximize it? The problem with the scripture is, it's one thing to hear it, it's another thing to obey it. It's why God told Joshua in Joshua 1.6, be strong and courageous for you'll cause this people to inherit the land I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous. Be careful, to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Be careful to obey. Don't turn from it to the right hand or to the left. Then you may have good success wherever you go. If you wanna maximize what God's telling you, I encourage you to obey it, to follow through. We get so excited in church, but it's like by the time we get to our cars, we have amnesia spiritually. We heard this great message, we said, man, I'm gonna be in the word more, I'm going to pray more, I'm going to give, I'm gonna put God first, and all of a sudden, we get in the car and we have memory loss. Beloved, hearing is one thing, obeying is another. Kathy and I treat prayer like many of you treat medicine, we take it every day. We believe every day, together. For what God says. Now, then he tells him this, and probably this is the hinge upon which this whole thing turns. He bases Joshua, if you're going to sustain the faith to possess everything I've given you, if you're going to sustain the faith you need to basically bring this whole nation of people into the land, this is what it's gonna take. Here's what he said, and I'll read it to you in a minute. Your relationship with the Word of God will determine your ability to possess the very things you were born to do. He said this to Joshua in Joshua 1, 8. Joshua, this book of the law, in those days, it was Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, it's all they had. This book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth. That means you need to speak it. You need to speak my word, but instead of it departing out of your mouth, it also means departing out of your mouth, don't let your faith out through unbelief, but you shall meditate on it, ponder it. I'll define it in a moment. Day and night. I want you to ponder this word, reflect on this word, read this word, confess this word, that you may become careful to do according to all that's written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous and you'll have success. What is God saying? If you want to prosper in my will, if you want to achieve the success you were born to achieve, the Bible says he did not just choose you. It says in the book of Ephesians, you were his workmanship, created to do good works, which he planned for you already. What determines that? your relationship with the Word of God. And let's look at this. What does it mean to meditate? If you've grown up in church, and some of you have like me, you've been told to meditate on scripture your whole life and it was probably never explained to you. I sat with a brilliant university professor, um, just incredible Christian psychologist, and we're sitting at one of my favorite hamburger places in North Carolina, so I know this was inspired by the Holy Spirit. And as we were eating those hamburgers, I said, listen, I said, tell me, as a brilliant psychologist, what is the most neurologically sound way to approach the Bible? And what he wrote out, I don't have it with me, I'll comment on it, thousands and thousands of people around the world have used today. Let's talk about that. So when I begin to meditate on scripture, when God gives me a word about my wife's healing. When God gives me a word about a situation, I'll slowly begin to read that out loud. I say that because I am just—I read hundreds and hundreds of words a minute when I'm reading professionally. But I slow down, I read it out loud, I read it slowly, I read it deliberately, and I'll even vary my levels of feeling, intonation, rhythm, and emphasis. Why? because I'm looking to affect the right side of my brain where we all have our embodied consciousness of who God is, of who we are. I wanna affect that. I don't wanna just read it like a normal book, which typically affects the left side of your brain more. Now watch this. So then, a lot of times I'll close my eyes and imagine what this scripture means to me. I might draw it out. I might color it. I'll do a few little colors. I will, I will also journal what God has said. Then I'll begin to speak it. I will begin to ponder it. Why? Because that word affects my conscience. That word builds my faith. And I realize there can be such a battle on the inside of you. So many thoughts telling you it'll never happen. And the best way to fight a thought is not with a thought, it's with a spoken word. So I'm feeling all this like, This is what God has said you say do you talk to yourself heck yes i do south listen to god south this is what god says why because the number one place your victory leaks out is right out of your mouth faith is the oxygen of the soul and unbelief lets it out oh it'll never happen i should have figured it wouldn't happen oh my wife's not any better don't ever let my word out of your mouth. That means speaker, but also that means stop saying the opposite of what you're believing for. I knew it, wasn't any better. Now, so as you learn to meditate on the word, before we go a little deeper into this, you need to develop a management skill. Now, many of you are in business, or you're entrepreneurs, you're, you're professional, and you've learned like I have there's certain things in life that you seek to eradicate. There are others you know you're gonna to have to manage them. And if you're gonna walk by faith in any part of life, you're gonna to have to learn to manage two things, fear and anxiety. Because by its very nature, faith for the impossible or basing your life on what God has said, not just on what you're seeing It has a little way of making you very afraid and very anxious. Now he said in Joshua 1.9, have not I commanded you, be strong and courageous. Let me tell you, it's impossible to have courage if you're not afraid. Because courage is simply doing the right thing even when you're afraid. Now, then comes two of the hardest commands in all of scripture. Don't be frightened. Give me a break. And don't be dismayed. Oh, by the way, I command you, don't be afraid and don't be discouraged. And oh, don't be depressed either. I'm with you. Thank you. Okay. God can say certain things that just make me think, you've got to like be kidding me. You've just told me to believe my wife's healed and all the doctors say, no, I'm sorry. I'm just a bit anxious over this. I don't say that disrespectfully. But what I say is, when you get in a long-term faith situation, you're believing for your daughter, you're believing for this situation, you're believing for something in your family, you're believing for a loved one to come with Christ, how do you manage fear? Let's just be honest. How do you manage anxiety? I was laughing talking to some of the staff last night. I can preach the greatest message on managing anxiety and have trouble sleeping that very night because I'm anxious. You say, Jim, what is one of the greatest signs of faith? You're afraid simultaneously. Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Lord, I believe, but I'm afraid. Lord, I believe, but I'm really worried about because I'm believing. Okay, how do we manage it? Now, here's what I've learned. I mean, I've had autoimmune disease, I've been told stress is destroying me, I've gone to the hospital with my throat tightening up and my lips numb, and the Lord tells me, oh, by the way, why are you in the hospital? I thought, man, you're omniscient, why am I in the hospital? You're giving me all these bad things to face. He goes, there's nothing wrong with your stress, go home. And I invited the nurses to the church and went home, like, how, what do you do with all that? Like, how do you manage this? Here is what I've learned. And I'm gonna only take a second here because then we wanna apply this to Jericho. It says there's this promise in Philippians um, chapter four, six and seven. It goes this, don't be anxious about anything. I'm thinking, don't be anxious about anything. Are you like talking about heaven? Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with lots of thanksgiving and worship, let God Know your requests, and then this peace of God, the peace of the Trinity, will guard your brain-mind system. And it's a peace you won't understand because you'll have every reason to be worried, but you're peaceful. How's that happen? Let me just break it down quickly because it's not what this is about, but at least I want to give you a little management skill. Watch this, I have learned And I've been a Christian now for hmm, 56 years, I think. It's a good long time, I know I look 26, it's not true, give or take, 38 years. All right, this is what living right and eating right will do for you, just kidding, okay. (laughs) Better take that out of the tape, now watch this. How do we manage this anxiety? It's because I've learned to worship through my anxiety instead of worrying through my anxiety. And watch this, and this is why it's important, so I'll break this down for you. So I was telling um, Jeff and Jed, I got plenty to worry about right now. I've got a few little multiple crises, one which is pulling my, I mean serious type situations, really life or death stuff. So how do I manage that? I manage that not by denying the reality of my anxiety, but handling it through worship. So, What am I gonna do, what am I gonna do? Instead it's, you know what I need to do. You love them more than I do. I wanna thank you, you never give me more than I'm able to bear. I wanna thank you, you already have an answer. I wanna thank you that you promise to work all things together. And as I begin to worship, and I begin to praise my way through this situation, what happens starts spiritual, but it ends up neurobiological and psychological. Let me explain this to you. As I begin to worship, and as I reconnect with this God I serve, his peace comes, he begins to tell me he loves me, I feel his presence, as we did this morning, I feel his love. Well, when you feel loved by a human you trust, it affects all of your neurotransmitter levels oxytocin, um, dopamine, serotonin, different chemicals and transmitters, it's the same. When all the God of the universe begins to come with his presence and love on you, it changes your chemical balances. Your oxytocin rises, your dopamine rises, your serotonin levels are affected. And what's that do? It changes your psychological profile in the the moment. You're not as anxious, you're not as afraid. So that would start spiritual begins to kick in at multiple levels. I have to do that a lot, to be honest. And now my reflex is not to worry, it's to worship. Why is worship second nature to me? Worship is second nature to me because I went forward on the second or third stanza of just as I am in the Baptist church, much of the prayers of my parents who knew, even at eight, they were heading for a prison ministry if God didn't touch me. I think the must have saying an extra stanza to get me then, they got me anyway. And at 17, I, I came under lordship and was called to the ministry. Well, my reflex, my choices have been to worship, not to worry for decades now, and now it's not even a choice, it's a reflex. I'm here. now. Now that we've talked about that, let's apply this to Jericho itself. We won't look in, won't look in uh, Joshua chapter five, but Joshua is doing what all of us are good at. He's staring at the problem, hoping it'll somehow change if he just looks and worries enough. Much of what you call worship is really worryship. That means you're, you're, not, you're, you're, you're kind of worrying, hoping God will worry with you. There's something in all of us that wants to reduce God to our level. Instead of rising his level in worship, we want him to worry with us. I hope you're as concerned as I am about this God. I mean, it's really bad. How are you doing about it? Okay. He's worrying. He's looking. And the longer you look at your problem, the worse it gets. It's the way it goes. A giant being shows up. It's called the angel of the Lord, has a big sword. Joshua's scared to death. It's an Old Testament manifestation of Jesus. Whose side are you on? Neither. That's scary. Joshua hits the deck. And God says those crazy things only he can say. Oh, by the way, Jericho's yours, he's thinking. (laughs) Yeah, Jericho's mine. You didn't just get the phone call from the doctor. Yeah, mine, God says, it's yours. And this is all you've got to do. And then he gives Joshua one of the dumbest plans in all of history. Faith doesn't make sense, does it, Jim? No, it doesn't a lot of the time. The only thing that makes sense is God's character and who he is. He says, Joshua, go back. Gather the whole army. Now, Joshua, listen. It's gonna take the whole family to do this. Not one of you is strong enough alone. That's different than Moses would point that rod around and fire would fall down and water would burst out of rocks. Get the whole army. And every day for seven days, I want you to march around that city. Joshua's thinking, how about an angelic assault? How about a heavenly catapult? How about like this magic rod? Like where'd that rod Moses had go? I could use that. Why'd I ever put that thing in the ark? Where is it? We're always wanting like, somehow we think Christianity's magical. And somehow the Bible is a spell. Habraca the Lord is with you. And somehow, poof, it's like a Disney movie. It's got it's just not that way. This isn't mechanical, it's relational. It's not like if you just say the scripture in a certain way, or you try to get Jeff's kind of Texas twang and the look in his eyes. No. It's relationship. This isn't magical. Wish it was. Okay, now you march around, and you're thinking, okay, we'll march around seven days. Oh, by the way. On the seventh day, go around seven times, seven times. Oh yeah, one more thing, don't let him say a word. Like the army can't say a word? Not a word, because I know what they'll say if they speak. They'll speak unbelief and doubt, it'll go viral and wreck it. They can't say a word. Okay, no words. Oh yeah, get seven priests with seven ram horn shofars, have them toot the shofar the whole time. Well, why would they do that? Chauffeur did two things. They called him into worship and called him to war, and said, I want to keep them in the balance between worship and war. I want the whole atmosphere permeated by worship. Oh yeah, seventh day, go around seven times, blow the horn, give a shout, the walls will fall down. Joshua goes, uh, the walls will fall down. But God did just part like the Jordan that gave him a little history. He shares the plan and what do we draw from this plan? And let's say this, number one, took the whole army. Can't do it alone, sorry. One of the greatest things about being part of church family is within church family, as we lock our faith together, the faith of the many do what the faith of one could never do. It's one, and and if you're online this morning watching, we're just so thankful, but I'll tell you, being online is wonderful. Being in the presence of other believers, praying for one another and experiencing his presence is amazing as well. Now watch this. Secondly, their demeanor, they couldn't talk. Why did God silence them? It's because God knew what was bottled up into them And by not giving them the valve of their mouth, it forced them to deal with the war going on the inside of them. And as they began to remind themselves of the Red Sea they had heard about, when they began to remind themselves of the Jordan River parting, why did Jordan have to be at flood tide? Because the faith they would gain to cross a flooded river was the faith they'd need to take their promised land. So faith began to grow. It began to build up. Second thing we learned is, third thing, they went in circles. Oh, I'm an American. I'm very linear, A to Z. God's not American. Sorry, he's God. He loves circles better than you do. Jim, I've been going in circles. I'm sick of it. Well, not quite sick enough where you'd be done with the circle. Like, why would God have you circle things? Maybe he's trying to help you see it the way he sees it. Maybe it's just taking that long to develop your faith. Or maybe what you're circling is not quite ready. It's not as simple as you think. God, what are you waiting for? Could be you. You're so tired of these circles. Kathy and I circled her health 10 years. We circled her dad 20 years. One of our sons off on the mission field got sick. You'd heard the story played college football at 228 pounds, 107 pounds, dying, parasite, four years, got mad, walked away from his faith, loved us, walked away, and God said, when he's 30, he'll come home. 30, text message, I need a Bible. That story was years in the making. We saw no progress. Dad didn't look more saved. She never looked more healthy. The sun didn't seem to be changing. What sustains that? I'm going in circles. Good for you. The walls will come tumbling down. And to make it worse, the last day they had to go seven times around them. That means right at the end, before the walls tumbled down, your exertion, level multiplies. you realize on the last day, they did six days of work. It's why so many times right before our breakthrough, there's a breakdown in our faith, a break. I'm so tired of this, I'm not seeing. And be honest, if you'd have been one of the Jews marking around the walls, you'd have been marking spots, waiting for the crack the second day, looking for one little crack of process, maybe kind of stomping your feet, maybe literally jumping up and down, hoping to start a tremor. Seventh day, seven times, blew the trumpet. The rest was history. Here's the toughest part of the deal. God does not normally tell us how long it's going to take. So we don't know if we're on the seventh day, the 700th day, we don't know if it's a week or a month or a year. Hundreds of you find yourself with a Jericho today. In a moment, I'm gonna pray for you and we're gonna apply these principles. You're today and say, I need help with a Jericho in my life. Put your hand up and wave at me. I'm feeling real good about myself right now. I got a Jericho or two. All you with a Jericho, stand to your feet and join me. It's the majority of us. (laughs) Let me tell you, Here's the neat thing about God. He's not like a human that lies. He's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. The same principles he gave Joshua. We can find them all in the New Testament. Jesus applied. It was Jesus that Jesus. He had a Jericho. Jesus had a mountain. He said, "If you'll speak to that mountain, move and believe, it can be thrown into the sea." I want you to close your eyes. I want you to visualize your Jericho this morning. Can you see it? That loved one, that family member, that thing in your health, that thing in your business. Close your eyes and see walls around. You've circled it. Some of you have believed for years, some for months, some for days, and it feels like years. He sees you. He's here to help you. You came in the doors today, overwhelmed. A number of you laid in bed, paralyzed with what you're facing. You, you still came. Some of you just slipped in right at the end of it. You barely made it, but you've heard his word. Now, here's the scripture we're going to apply. Remember that there's a scripture. That's in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1, I believe it is. The weapons of our warfare aren't carnal. They're not just natural. They're not just nuclear they're not just lasers, oh no, they're not hydrogen alone. The weapons of our aren't natural, but they're mighty in God, his word, his spirit, family, this power, they're mighty in God to the demolishing of strongholds, to the demolishing of those walls that have cut someone off from you. We're gonna take that scripture and we're gonna apply it together out loud to our jerichos we're going to ask god to break these walls are you ready pray this week lord jesus you know my jericho i have your promises and right now i'm bringing this word before you the weapons you gave me are not carnal they're not natural they are supernatural and they're mighty in the holy spirit To the demolishing of strongholds. And by your word. And by your spirit. And by your power. I speak to my stronghold. You are demolished. I see it the way you see it. Sustain me with your word. Now, point your hand at someone close to you. Let's pray for someone else's stronghold right now. Let's do this. Just stretch out. There are people going in circles all over this building, believing for things that seem impossible. Pray this with me. Lord Jesus, I pray for every stronghold here. Demolish it. Help my brother. Help my sister. Lord, we reach out our faith right now. Now, one more thing. Let's visualize the greater Dallas-Fort Worth area where we live here the rest of us around the country still think of Texas is the Bible Belt. But in this area, 20% of the people go to church. 20%. Walls of fear surround people. Depression. Walls of unbelief. Walls of pain. Walled off from the gospel. Can you see your neighborhood? Your place of work? Where you live in this great metroplex? I want you to see it. Paul says the God of this world has blinded them. Let's pray that God break down the walls around this city that we might see it evangelized and touched. Lord Jesus, you're greater than the walls of Fort Worth, greater than the walls of Dallas. We are asking you to touch this city. We speak life to this city. We pray walls would tumble down. Bring our neighbors. Bring our friends. Bring our co workers. In Jesus' name. Let me say this in summary. Let God define your mandate, let Him illuminate the scripture you need. When I was dying of hepatitis at 23, which I contracted in a war zone. As a young worker, liver destroyed. There was really no hope for me. I was skin and bones, covered in hives, delirious. I'm so glad my parents listened to God, not the doctors. So glad they got a hold of God and believed all those months while their son lay delirious. In the middle of the night, I'll never forget it. The presence of God flooded over me. Heal me. I don't care if it's been days, weeks, months, years. He's given you a promise, meditate on that word. Manage your fear and your anxiety by worshiping through it, not worrying through it. He's able. Able to deliver. Never lies. Same God, help Joshua, is here to help you today. I've had plenty of pain. I know loss. But He's never, ever failed me. No matter what you're facing. You say, I don't have enough faith. What's enough faith? You feel like if I if I had faith, I'd be afraid. No, oh, beloved, faith and fear typically go hand in hand. All right, thank you very much. Thanks for listening to this message from Milestone Church. We hope it's been an encouragement for you today. We invite you to listen to other messages on this podcast or discover who we are by visiting our website at milestonechurch.com.